Hi, my name is Lyle Adams, and I'm the CEO of Spry, and this is one-on-one -on -one with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners, and I gotta be honest with you. Trying to stay on top of the name image likeness market for college athletes is just brutal. That marketplace is more complex than reading Shakespeare in ancient Greek while juggling on one foot. I suppose it takes someone like Lyle Adams, the CEO of Spry, to not only make sense of it all, but to build a product that can help others make sense of it all too. A former Division I college soccer player, Adams knows firsthand the hurdles that NIL and its ever-changing rules and regulations present to athletes and administrators. As a problem solver who was an early Uber employee, he also saw how technology can remove those same obstacles. In our conversation, Lyle and I talk about the creation of his company, Spry, his soccer career, his transition from being an athlete to working for technology startups, and where he sees both the opportunities and challenges for name image likeness. He'll also reveal why your most interesting Uber ride will probably never match his. Enjoy. Lyle Adams, thanks so much for joining us. I'm, I want to start off by reviewing your playing career because you started off uh, as a soccer player and you went up and win national championships at uh, Wake Forest. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that journey up into and being included, uh, being drafted by uh, an MLS team. How, how does that foundational process, what was that like for you uh, as a college athlete? Surreal, to be honest with you. <laughs> In that, I was very fortunate to get a chance to play at Wake Forest. Uh, unfortunately, my club team broke apart my junior year of high school, which is a big year for recruiting. Oh, sure. So yeah. I, I somewhat fell through the cracks of some prominent programs because we didn't really play in the bigger tournaments or some of the showcases that many college coaches look to to highlight prospective talent for their upcoming classes. So I kind of visibility was just less visibility so low. was yeah. visibility. So a lot of local schools or state Florida schools were recruiting me. So Rollins College yep. in Orlando, UCF, South Florida, Columbia, Cornell, like, but not um, some of the ACC powerhouses that I aspired to play at. Okay. So spoke to my parents about my aspirations and they said, Hey, if you really want to apply or play ACC soccer, how about you supply to those schools? And, you know, if you get in, we'll see what happens. And I was lucky enough to get in to Wake Forest academically. Mm -hmm. And then during that new student orientation day, I reached out to the college coach to hopefully schedule a meeting. So I met with coach Jay Vidovich at the time and Bobby Muse is now the head coach, but he was the top assistant there and Carson Porter and I stated my case during new student orientation day about why I wanted to walk on. They were awesome. Uh, uh, despite the boldness and directness of my request, they were very polite and says, hey, I'm very transparently, this never really happens. But we, we love your initiative. So let's now make some phone calls to now see if you can truly play. So you basically had offers on the table from, from other schools but you just decided to roll the dice, go to Wake Forest on uh, academically and walk on and approach the coaches for what they said was something that they'd never really seen before. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was a walk on. I was a true walk on in that I was going to if I was 
if I was going to go to Wake, I'd have been academically. No sports aspirations. They didn't know who I was. So I showed up and asked for the opportunity. And when they said, hey, you can have the opportunity, I made that decision to go to Wake Forest as a result of that. Because I deep down believed in myself that I would be able to be a member of the team in some capacity, whether that was on the roster or starter. Just I felt very confident in my abilities, whether that's a good or bad thing, that I could be a member of that team. Because some of my high school friends or colleagues played at other ACC programs. Like Dax McCarty was my college teammate, was at UNC. Yeah. Graham Zussi went to Maryland, and we we all grew up playing together. So, so it's a lot of pedigree out there that you already understood was successful at that level. So The level that I was playing at in Florida, I felt comfortable in my abilities to be able to make a team whether or not I was going to play was up to the coaches and myself but I felt like I was I wasn't going to be over my skis if that made sense and that was part what prompted my decision to have the opportunity so you're correct in that I asked for that opportunity my coaches came back to me and said hey um you've now you know some of our, our references in the state now have seen you play and they're really interested in you or they said you you can and we would like to extend an opportunity to walk on, but mind you, there'd be no scholarship opportunities, yeah, yeah. all of our money. And I said that's all I wanted a chance. I mean, <laughs> I have a sneaky suspicion this theme is going to recur throughout this conversation of you having belief in self and trying opportunities that you sought out, that you maybe went against the grain, like the established opportunity to other schools to say, this is what I want to pursue because you win a national championship with Wake Forest, obviously walking out turned out pretty well for you there, but then you get drafted by the MLS, but decide to go play in Europe. Can you talk a little bit about that decision a little bit? Because it sort of falls into the same sort of category. Wake Wake was wonderful in that. Um, The thing I'm most proud about was not only the national championship, but like I'm top 10 in games played and started in school history. And for those who don't know, Wake is a top 10 perennial soccer program and a walk on having that kind of honor presence. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy about at the same time. I respect my coaches for just giving me a fair shot. Like they were open about the opportunity because unfortunately some coaches will prefer kids on scholarship or prefer kids that were big name recruits. And for them to, truly give me a chance being a walk-on that they had no ties to a relationship with with i just speak so highly of their character um now talking about about my professional aspirations with having such a good college career i never thought about playing pro and that was part of the reason i you know i was looking at now wake forest is wake is a good academic school and i said okay well if i can't now play soccer here a Wake Forest degree can put me on a good path going forward in the future. And that was kind of like my thinking of some of the schools I was applying to was like saying, hey, let's now look at their athletic accolades, but also their academic honors or prestige can now help me now get a job. So I'm going to have to get a job. That's just critical advice for anybody who's thinking about playing sports in colleges. What does the degree look like on the other side? And that was the thinking now with Europe, because unfortunately at the time, MLS's league minimum for a graduating senior was $18,000. So we're talking 2009? 2010. 2009. 2010. Okay. So I was drafted. Right. It's a different MLS then than it is now. Than it is now. I think the league minimum now is $80,000 plus, which is... 6x what it was when I played, right? <laughs> it's um, a little bit different. Which is, yeah, which is sure. great, but I mean, like, you know, obviously you need to be in the moment to be successful, right? But for right. me, Europe was somewhat of an exciting opportunity for the fact that you could go to one of the, you know, the emerging countries or the um, developmental leagues. And I, I would think those are outside of the big five of Europe. So this is now mm-hmm. Scandinavia, right. Austria, Belgium, 
Holland, where they develop a lot of players now, and then they sell them to bigger leagues. So this is now they sell them to England or Spain or Italy or France, where there's a lot more TV dollars alloc allocated. But right. per my research, what I found interesting about some of these opportunities were it was like, yes, the foundational salary wasn't um, substantially higher than what MLS was offering, but many of these clubs supplemented housing and accommodations for players. So you might only be making $20,000 in salary, but if you don't have housing or car or food expense, that salary is all net in your pocket. So like that's what your profits are. So for me, those opportunities were somewhat attractive because saying, hey, let's now do the math. I'm like, despite being financially responsible, living on $18,000 in a major U.S. city is kind of challenging <laughs> or tight, regardless of however you want to... That's a lot of ramen. However you want to cut it. And like, it's not really conducive <laughs> to be, you know, getting good sleep and eating properly if you're trying to be at the best of your physical capabilities to be an athlete, if you're now having non-healthy food. And because you weren't, because you weren't really thinking when you were at Wake, you weren't really necessarily thinking about, okay, this is what my pro career is looking like, right? You were... You had the academic portion nailed down. The athletic portion was taking place. You were clearly finding success there. Were you surprised to be drafted? Surprised and it's it's still a surreal moment. Like yeah. one thing that, you know, you know, I want to highlight to our listeners today is the margins at that level are so fine mm -hmm. of winning and losing, being successful and not successful, style of play, systems, personality coach, right? And for us to win a national championship was a massive honor. And like, right. but everything went right that year. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, we made three final fours. And we only have one championship. I thought my personally, my senior year team was better than the one we won with in terms of being technically gifted and players across the board. My, but we hit the post five times in the semifinal. <laughs> That's amazing. Right? right. So if you think about that, like I knew how fine those margins were to now be successful. And then even growing up and kind of unfortunately falling through the recruiting cracks, there were great players that I played with growing up in Florida, whether it was on the ODP, the ODP circuit or in club stuff that never got a sniff in college. Yeah. Right. Or they went to a bad place and the, them and the coach didn't get along. They just didn't have the grades to sustain themselves. But in terms of being technically gifted, they were amazing soccer players. So for me, getting drafted was just kind of like still a surreal moment because I played on a team with all Americans, the Herman Trophy winner. Guys who had 10-year MLS careers, two-time defender, MLS Defenders of the Year. And I was like, hey, I'm I'm a role player here. I'm forever grateful. But like maybe some scouts see my potential, but at the same time, like maybe they don't. And I'm kind of okay with living in the moment. So getting drafted was somewhat of a still massive honor. Yeah, no kidding, right? Just absolutely going for what and what a story. I mean, going from Hey, coach, give me a chance to walk onto this team to being drafted in the second round by the MLS. But you take that moment. Like I said, you ultimately decided to play, try your hand in Europe, uh, played for a bit there, come back to the U.S. And then the playing career kind of winds up in 2010, 2011. I've had a couple of chances to talk to other athletes about that moment when basically the final whistle blows. And you're now reflecting on a career and thinking about what comes next. I'm wondering if you can reflect on that moment for you. What, what was that like as you begin this transition from being 
okay, the, the, the athletics part didn't necessarily work out or it's over. What goes next? What was, what was that moment like for you? It's difficult to truly explain the moment because it happens over like a series of periods of time, right? Because mm-hmm. for one, to get to that level of athletics, you have to be in the top three or 5% of players in the sport, whether or not you are even seeing the field or not, whether it's basketball, baseball, soccer, football, to make a professional squad or to be drafted, you are now at the peak of the sport or performance. I'm going to have to take your word for that. Right. But but what, <laughs> what I'm trying to get at there is more of like you're used to being successful. And for someone now to tell you you're not good enough or mm-hmm. we no longer want you is a difficult pill. But the beauty of being an athlete, though, is you've been you want to seek out that kind of feedback, and that's what makes you better, and that's what, what's gotten you to that level. Because throughout your career, people have always doubted you. So when people said, "Hey, Lyle, we want to cut you," I could have now applied my craft or tried playing it, you know, playing another year in USL or you know, mm-hmm. going trying to go back overseas or trying to like find another place that wanted me. Mm-hmm. But if I was now being truly honest with myself, like the experience had kind of soured the game in my eyes about how transactional it was when it was always mm-hmm. transactional. Like, maybe yeah. I was young and being naive about like the transactional nature of the business, right? But the, the whole experience and how it was done and conducted kind of was like, hey, maybe I'm done. But looking at it, I kind of had to take a step back to say, I walked on. I didn't think yeah. I was ever going to be a pro soccer player yet. I've now made lifelong friends. I've had a I won a national championship. I had a chance to play overseas. I played. I had a chance to play in the states. Whereas many of the people I grew up with never got that opportunity. So I was somewhat at peace with that. But the hard part now came with trying to figure out what was next. Because for so long I was always Lyle Adams, the soccer player. Yeah, yeah. And soccer was now gone. So for me, how do I figure out what my identity was and what my hobbies were? And that's what I think many of my peers or former teammates struggle with when when the when the last whistle blows. It's like who you are as a person, because for so long you're scripted, you're structured, practices at this time, you wake up at this time, you do all of this, and now that's gone. And it's like, hey, Dave, go figure it out on your own. Do you feel like though you talk about it the when you were talking about making the decision for wake? You know, there was such an academic strength in there and you got in and went to wake thinking that soccer was going to be an opportunity that may or may not be available to you. Right. You're going to do the walk on piece. Do you feel like because you had the academic focus first that that better prepared you for what comes next? Because you were kind of already one foot in. Maybe no, in that, I mean, I, I think it's a combination of both. If I'm being very mm-hmm. honest, because I've talked to some of my friends about this. Right. If I'm being honest. Yeah. To be successful at that level, this is all you can think about, dude. It has to consume you. Yeah. But I knew that it was always going to be tough to make soccer as a living when I was making eighteen thousand dollars a year. <laughs> right. There's right? a calculus involved. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it negatively affected my effort on the field. But to your point, maybe it was a mentality. So when I stopped playing, I knew that hey, this was always going to come. Whether this yeah. was my timing for it, which I think is the difficult part, because many athletes don't get to have the, you know, what the late great Kobe did in terms of like getting to say when they wanted to retire. Right. When you want to step when away. When you want to step away. Most athletes now are forced to step away because either you can't find a contract or it's through injury or it's something that outside of your control. And that's now what makes the retirement very, very difficult. 
So for me, I kind of knew that, hey, soccer was going to now have a shelf life because one, I wasn't making anywhere enough to make make enough money to now live off of the rest of the time. So it kind of made it a little easier to digest maybe, but at the same time, like, could that thinking possibly have hurted my drive to be great? Maybe it doesn't. It's kind of difficult for me to truly like look back and reflect on where I was at that age. But like, looking at it now objectively, like I think it had its benefits of allowing me to say, hey, I got to get a job. But also, could I have now been playing a bit longer if I said, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to quit on myself or fail right now or be okay with my career? Maybe so, right? Maybe like it could have gone both ways, if I'm being honest. Yeah, well, it, you chose a path that took you down a kind of an interesting technology journey, right? Um, you worked for a couple of pretty significant companies, one called uh, Living Social and this other tiny little company. I'm not sure if anybody listening has heard of this company. It's called um, Uber, right? So how did your athletic journey prepare you for what was really a transition to working some pretty significant movers and shakers in the technology world? Being an athlete, um, whether it's in college or professional ranks, you get to interact with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. So for me, working was, I would say it was easy. I, I don't get me wrong. There's pressure in all jobs, right? But like, the pressure of playing in a national championship game and making a mistake and losing a national championship is not the same now of typing in a wrong Excel formula, <laughs> right? So the, the pressure <laughs> accolades are somewhat different, right? I don't know. I've screwed up some pretty bad Excel you formulas. Have, right? But I, I think it's somewhat <laughs> different there. But at the same time, it teaches you now to never get too up and too up, up and down. But being an athlete, you're hungry, you're coachable, you want to learn. And that yeah. for me was the exciting thing about work because I realized how little I actually knew. Like I, I didn't have mm. experience because unfortunately, like I said, I spent my summers training or getting ready for a soccer season. So where my right. classmates were getting summer internships in New York or in DC, I was, I was training. Like I have no regrets. I have no ill will. It was my decision. But now when I was looking back, when they're going to job, I realized my resume was somewhat scarce. It was bare yeah. bones. I didn't really have much experience. So for me, it was like, where can I find an opportunity that allowed me to grow? And I heard positive things about the tech industry, that it was fast paced. It was, it was, they somewhat cared about backgrounds, but it was less important now as other industries. Whereas if you think about some engineers, they don't graduate college. Some of them don't even go to college, yet they have good right. jobs. So tech was more about are you going to be engaged? Are you hungry? You're learning. And those are the things that somewhat aligned with my personality at the time. So hence, I sought out tech jobs. I was forever fortunate to get the living social job. I, I think soccer played a big role because I think mm. my hiring manager is, hey, like, there's a soccer player. Like, I like soccer. Let's interview him, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm forever grateful for having that. But then once you get your foot in the door, like, it's like any... It's like soccer practice, in my opinion. It's repetitions, getting better, wanting to improve. But from a human element, in college, I played at Wake for four years. So if you were to quantify how many teammates I had over those four years, I probably Mm -hmm. had 70 different teammates from different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringing, different ethnicity, like different interests. Yet we had to still bond and connect and work together now to achieve um, a common goal, which is being successful on the field. So for me, right. learning and interacting in the office wasn't really challenging. It was more now just learning the actual technical skills or the business acumen or the business learning, which is actually a lot easier now to, 
learn as crazy as it sounds then how to like interact and work with a teammate or do all these other stuff because that became very natural and easy to me so for me it was just like hey let's just get better technically let's now work on excel let's learn sql let's learn the business model let's learn this stuff and being an athlete i'm always wanting to get better so that became a natural milestones and goals I could set for myself as I started my professional career. It sort of fed your natural drive that you had spent years developing and honing and training for to be able to take those mental qualities, that skill set, and apply it to a totally different paradigm for a terrible word that I'm going to use. But hey, we're talking about technology, yeah. so paradigm has to get thrown in there yeah. at some point or another, I mm -hmm. suppose. But let's then transition, because we were you worked for really massive technology companies. I mean, the growth at Uber when you were there, I'm assuming, I mean, you were what, some one of the first hundred employees yeah, it was at Uber? Mind-blowing. Looking at it now is to see a company go from that stage to when I left is rare for so many different reasons. Singular, I got to imagine, right? How many people have that? Yeah, and that was the thing was I, I look back at it like, obviously, you know, it's TV shows and maybe books and knowing all the characters and the story plots of having first-hand experiences is, is surreal. But for me, yeah. it was more of the, the life cycle of a business. I saw everything from those early days when, when we didn't think we were going to make it or we were like, you know, you were having ups and downs to now being in... Nobody will ever buy into this rideshare idea. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or now people now thinking like, why would I need Uber when I can go hail a cab? Like those things were like very big concerns early on. And then when I left, you heard we were in rap songs, we were in vernacular. It's like, hey, like this Uber to me, you became a word that even- It became a word. Not yeah. even around taking an Uber itself. It's just like, hey man, just Uber me the paperwork, right? <laughs> so for me, like, that was kind of a, 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 full, a full 180 moment of seeing how we had basically grown from this- concept and idea and this early stage to being interwoven now in society and having case studies and having businesses use the concept of the rights the the gay economy now basically playing a role was was very humbling but also exciting for me to say hey this i was there and i learned all these great things but i was still very humble in that like i'm forever grateful that rachel hired me she could have found someone else with the similar skill sets and the similar personality and dropped them in it, Uber would have still worked, right? right? So I was very honest about that kind of like being right place, right time. And that, that kind of like, you know, leading to Spry was like, one thing I learned from Uber is you can't get too high, you can't get too low, right? And it's the same. Oh, okay. And, and, and what, what I mean by that is like, you had some great days at Uber, you had some bad days. You had, you had partners early on getting towed for like, the city saying, hey, you were illegal, when in reality, they weren't, right? Then you had some great days about like, you know, completing the record number of trips, and the next day it rains, and no one can get a ride, right? So Uber taught me to remain somewhat even keel, but look at it this way, at the end of the week, can you take two steps forward, right? If you take two steps forward every week, where you are in six months is going to be look drastically different than where you are today. But along that way, it might not be a traditional two steps forward every single day. It might be two steps backward on Tuesday, right, where you can now make that up on Thursday. So for Right. Me, it's like Mother May I, right? You're, sometimes you're taking giant steps. Sometimes you're just taking baby steps. Yeah. But it's got to be steps. It's got to be steps. So you start, I mean, you make this, you go from Uber, which 
you know, by any, by any measure is one of the most significant technology development companies in the world. And you decide after some, some other um, deviations in your, in your workflow to, to, to launch Spry. So what I'm hopeful for people who are not familiar with Spry, can you do a quick elevator pitch for, for what Spry is? So Spry is a vertical software solution for athletic organizations. We aim to help colleges right now connect and communicate and collaborate with their student athletes, coaches, and other administrators. Spry's first product was this NIL management feature that we mm-hmm. launched to help collegiate athletic departments navigate the new NIL era that started in the summer of 2021. Okay. So I have to ask, I mean, was there always a drive to be an entrepreneur for you? Or is it something that more or less you had the idea and like, well, let's do this? It was more the latter. I've always yeah. been an inquisitive person. Um, I've always okay. had that thing, and I think that's what's it's made me, you know, my career non-traditional. Like I've always looked for ways of improving certain things, or like saying, "Oh, can I tweak this?" Like I've always been an engineer at heart. Okay. Um, more about process efficiency. Uh, with Spry itself, when they started proposing NIL opportunities, I, I said to myself, "This is great for many athletes," but just naturally, I started thinking about the pros and the cons of NIL. And I go, it's going to be difficult to educate athletes at scale because most athletes won't have an agent or a brand manager or a business manager because at the end of the day, no one knows who Lyle Adams is. I can Mm -hmm. walk down the streets of New York City right now and no one knows who I am. Not after this podcast, man. You're right. Like I'm going to have to get security. Um, (laughs) But if you're Kevin Durant or Paige Bukers or Sabrina Nescu, people know who you are. Why that's important was they would be okay in the NIL era because they would have people to help support them, to help guide them, to help educate them. Whereas I was thinking about myself, I'm like, who helps Lyle Adams? Like, yes, Lyle can make money, but Lyle's not making enough money to warrant an agent being my agent or a, right. a brand to help you know, give me a brand manager. So I kind of have to figure that out on my own. And that was kind of the initial thinking. It's like, hey, can we use an app now to provide educational resources and guidance for student athletes to figure out what they can and cannot do? Because at 18, I was naive. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about taxes. I didn't know about exclusivity or in perpetuity. Those things I think I learned later on in life, but now an 18 year old be faced with those big decisions that could have dire consequences on future earnings is like one aspect of spry. And the other aspect was the reputational risk I saw from a university. Like, Wake Mm. is a private school. I went to private school for grad school in New York, Columbia. I love both institutions, but I highly doubt both institutions would want me now portraying school logos and marks with contraband or questionable paraphernalia or memorabilia in a picture. You start getting into the brand protection. The brand protection. And that was the other element of Spry was like, how are schools going to stay on top of this? I never Mm -hmm. thought schools would want to like hinder athletes from making money. But at the same time, I just struggled to see how Wake Forest would want me now posting a soccer, being on my Facebook on Friday night with a great game team. Right. And then on Saturday, me now holding some contraband or an alcohol bottle promoting the tequila brand. Don't think they would like that as an institution. And that was kind of the other element of surprise. Like, hey, can we now provide educational resources and capture these 
NIL opportunities so schools can be aware of what's going on to help now educate the athlete and protect both school and athlete. How, how much do you draw upon your own experience as a college athlete as you continue the development of Spry and the tools that it can provide to both the athletes but also the administration itself? Do you find yourself reflecting on your time there and what you would have wanted or what could have been possible when you were there? Yes and no. Um, some of the things I think are different now because I was, you know, I'm going to date myself. I was in college before you had a smartphone. Right before before there was social media, so some of the challenges that today's student athletes are facing, I never had to face. Right, right. so it's I such so different. So I can't really speak to some of those challenges. But in terms of organizational or operational things, I can definitely speak to those. And like when you play a college sport, half of your teammates remain in the business of sport. They become college coaches or administrators mm-hmm. or agents or something around the periphery of sports business. And the other half of us leave, I left. But you share that commonality of being on a team where you spend six days for four years together. So you're basically family, right? So you can pick up the phone and talk to your buddy and hear about their challenges. And that was one thing Mm -hmm. that always resonated with me when I was at Uber and living in Silicon Valley was what I could do from the power of my laptop at Uber was amazing. I could now manage multiple markets. I could now set dispatch radius. I could I could do crazy and powerful things to make sure the business was growing and scaling property. Yet some of my friends in higher education struggle to monitor attendance and they struggle now to have people sign forms in a timely manner or know who was <laughs> where. And it kind of yeah. blew my mind. Right. So from those yeah. two experiences, I was like, well, I saw what the power of technology could do at Uber, yet I had all these touch points from my friends and former teammates who were talking about how they wish they had the software that I did. And I got a firsthand experience now when I coach youth soccer. I struggled to reach my parents. I struggled to reach my players, right? So it's like, how do I now bring my passion of technology with my understanding of sport? And that was kind of the genesis for Sprout. This fascinating chasm between your experience with this leading technology company and then doing for what's more for all intents and purposes, the day to day and seeing that delta between the two of them uh, must have been fascinating. But also, I suppose that's where the opportunity sort of goes ding when the light bulb goes yeah. off over the head. No, you're spot on. And then, you know, unfortunately, like I said, when NIL was picking up momentum, um, COVID happened. Um, So everyone was at home for four to six months and I was in grad school and I'm forever grateful that, you know, friends and family were okay. And I'm very sad for all those who were negatively impacted, but I had a lot of free time, (laughs) right? Used productively, right? I had a lot of free time. I was by myself in New York City in the apartment. So I spent the time now talking to my administrator friends, talking to college campuses, reading NIL legislation, proposed state laws to figure out now what were some of the challenges operationally that would arise from the implementation of NIL. And when I kind of now had a thesis, I said, hey, let me build a prototype, right? Leveraging my tech experience, let's now shop my prototype and ideas around to see, hey, does this resonate with coaches? Does it resonate with admins? To see if it now aligns with what I anticipate their problems would be. And then we kind of found this sweet spot from there, we somewhat said, hey, like, let's now see where this goes was my internal thing. I said, hey, I will run this till I graduate from grad school. If I get some, okay. if I get some customers, 
we'll do it full time. If I get no customers, I will sell my tech or give my tech away to someone in the space and I will use this for resume purposes and go find the job. Name image likeness is such a fascinating place right now because developments seem to be happening so quickly. It's often characterized as the Wild West. Uh, given your perspective and working in it as deeply as you are, is the characterization justified or is NIL simply just misunderstood? I think it's both. I think the okay. Wild Wild West moniker is accurate in that if you date back to the original Wild Wild West, it was lawless. It was ruleless, mm -hmm. hence it got the term the Wild Wild West. And unfortunately, the NIL space right now is lacking uniformity of laws and rules. And hence that I would say the moniker makes sense, right? Like some states have a lot more restrictive NIL bills in place. Some states don't have any. Some states have repealed their laws to match the states that don't ha have any. Some I think this is so surprising piece to people that it's different from state to state, right? People think about Supreme Court decisions and what that did, but all that really did was just remove- The NCAA's ability to govern it. Or in, exactly. in the NCAA's eyes. I understand why they've taken a hands-off approach, but unfortunately, I think that now hurts institutions and student athletes. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like without going into names and examples, if you're at a very robust school with a lot of resources, you can now devote a lot more people to help your athletes maximize NIL. But right. if you are now at a school that's not as resource rich as the former school, maybe you can't now allocate those resources. You can't bring on additional staff. So your student athletes now are left to figure this out on their own. And going back to what I said now, that's really hard now for a student athlete because you're basically saying, hey, just because you didn't go to a place, your potential earning potential could be negatively impacted as a result. And which is, like I said, what's led to a lot of the you know, voice frustration, whether it's from college coaches or student athletes now about the the rules, the lack of uniformity in the space. And that's the problem that Spry was trying to solve. What we are solving is that with our application that any school can now purchase at an affordable price, you can get over 200 pieces of educational content that you can deploy whenever you want. We can do it programmatically. So if that admin is doing something else, we can help them and share content. If you have a dedicated resource, they can plug in now and send resources to any type of athlete that they want. Because for me, technology was the great neutralizer at NIL because some schools could always have more staff than other schools, but they still have the same number of student athletes across the board. So how do we make that experience better? And that's what Spry's goal is and has been. No, I was just going to say, it's I first this fascinating opportunity for schools who are less resourced than other sort of the, call them the, the power five schools, which seem in some cases to have almost bottomless pits of money to be able to throw at problems. It sounds like Spry is doing its best to try to be able to bridge that gap. Like if you don't have the resources, here's an efficient way that you can maximize the potential for NAL for your student athletes. You're spot on. That was always the mandate. It was like, how do you help the 95%? Because if you look at the power five, they're wonderful but they're only 5% of all the NCAA member institutions mm -hmm. in terms of a numbers perspective. Right. But they're now, if that's the case now, you have 450,000 athletes across now D1, D2, and D3. How are all those athletes going to now navigate NIL? Will all of them be interested in NIL? Probably not. But for me now, 
how do you provide the same resources and tools? So if a D2 athlete wants to make some money in a summer camp or a private lesson, they know how they should protect themselves with a contract and like liability insurance, all those things. Whereas that power five colleague might have that information at hand. Maybe the D3 does with software in my eyes, you somewhat neutral equalize that playing field that everyone can find and take advantage of it. You're obviously, you're talking to college athletic departments all the time and the people representing and have to deal with NIL issues among other things. From your view, where is their greatest concern going forward with NIL and how is that going to impact Spry's evolution? I mean, what NIL, like I said, NIL somewhat coupled with COVID highlighted the need for centralized, centralized software. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what you know, that's what Spry has expanded our product operations to do. We now handle messaging and paperwork and calendaring function and scheduling and workflows. Because what NIL truly created from a macro perspective was the need for software that communicated both ways, two-way communication streams. Because for so long when I was at Apple, it was always top-down. Lyle mm-hmm. will be here at this time. Lyle will do this at this time. Coach tell me to be here we might meet twice a year for me to go sign paperwork and do all those other things now. But in terms of a recurrent dialogue that was never needed until now, NIL has now popped up. So a lot of NIL made schools now reassess what they truly, truly needed long-term from a software development standpoint. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what we've basically said, Hey, let's now offer more. Let's now not only provide educational resources, but give you different ways to message and communicate with your apps because no school wants to have five or six different platforms functioning simultaneously because that's going to lead to not engagement, not engagement, other issues. So having a centralized platform that handles the three C's, collaboration, communication, and consistency does wonders for the athletic department. So that's what we saw with NIL earlier. We're continuing to see now. Where NIL goes in the future is I don't know. Like I, th- yeah. it's you, there's there's talks now of making student athletes employment uh, employees of the said school. Which I don't know. If it's good for both parties. Like this is <clears> now <throat> be, me being an athlete. Like I right. enjoy it at will. If I'm now an employee, maybe the athlete only gets two weeks of vacation. So if you, now you don't, you want to become a doctor, can you now do a summer internship if you only have two weeks of? quote unquote vacation if you're an employee. Like I th- I think there's some interesting questions that will continue to arise if that if that route is pursued. Um, do I think athletes should have more benefits uh, across the board at some institutions ba- based on what how they're performing and contributing to those schools? Absolutely. Right. But I, I don't think it's like, you know, a one size fits all approach which I think makes some of these things differently. How do they handle group licensing is something that I'm, I spent hours trying to determine internally, but for me, it's, there's no rhyme or there's no right way to do it. Right. Cause if you think about some of the biggest programs in the country, whether it's football, basketball, soccer, yes, their current team is great, but their programs were built on the backs of those who played before them. Right. Right. So now if you're selling merchandise and swag and you have a group licensing, do you now quantify or monetize those who came before you that might have now won a national championship or put that school on the map in the first place? 
which is now helping the current generation monetize from right the pedigree of the school rests on like i i don't know how this now works right so these mm -hmm. are the things that i think as nil continues to evolve we'll hopefully get more clarity but at the same time i'm also excited about the future right we're now almost three years into nil it'll be three years this there'll be two years this summer actually it's not even three years it'll be two years this summer two full years this summer right mm -hmm. and so much has changed like the growth of collectives i think are great but i think we truly won't understand their impact whether positive or negative for another 12 to 18 months right like how does this now affect schools that or less resource in terms of fundraising, right? Hypothetically yeah. speaking, if a donor gives a school $500,000 and now they give the collective $300,000, how does the school make up that $300,000 delta? Some of the big brands can do it, but if you're now a mid-major or a D2 school, that's a pretty significant revenue shortfall that you have to kind of overcome. Like how do you now handle Title IX concerns if some organizations are helping only male athletes get opportunities instead of female athletes, yet they're affiliated with the school. That's a clear violation of Title IX. Clear violation. That I, yeah. I don't know, I don't have good answers to, right? Which like is upsetting, but it's also exciting that hopefully there's a lot smarter people that will figure some of these things out. That's the beauty of this, I would say this industry that's in infancy. Like it's kind of now entering childhood. No, the, the terrible twos the are terrible twos us. and threes, but like <laughs> then like, you know, maybe it's the terrific sixes and sevens. Right, but yeah. we'll see now what somewhat continues to evolve. But that's why I think NIL is exciting because it's constantly changing, it's constantly evolving, which is a good and a bad thing. You kind of have to now stay up to date on all the changing legislation of what's going on to see how it could negatively impact your business. But at the same time, you kind of have to now be steadfast in your belief of, as a as a as a leader of where you think the long term opportunity now is. Lyle Adams, CEO of Spry, you've got the tiger by the tail with NIL, uh, and I can't wait to see how this evolves going forward. And um, before I let you go, though, I'm going to ask you to participate in the infamous lightning round. I have a series of questions for you uh, that you have not seen. I'm going to ask you to give the answer that is the first thing that comes to your mind. Lyle Adams, are you ready? Ready. All right, let's do this. Uh, you played college soccer for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Question, can a deacon really be very demonish? Yes, depending on who the demon is. Okay, very good. You chose to play at uh, Wake Forest over several other schools, including Columbia, but then you went to Columbia to get your master's degree. Did Columbia hold that against you while you were there? No, at least that I'm aware of. Okay, very good. Uh, you played professionally briefly in both Switzerland and Belgium. Which country has the better chocolate? Switzerland. Oh, boy, that's pretty definitive right there. I'm going to get a lot of emails from Belgians. Uh, you were amongst the first 100 employees at Uber. What is the most memorable Uber ride you've ever taken? I took an Uber copter ride in New York when they were launching Uber copter in the fall of 2019. When I started, Uber was only on the ground, SUVs and cars, and I took a helicopter ride that I requested through the app, and it blew my mind that we had come that far in such a short period of time. That's such a great story. All right, in college, what common expense would you have loved to offset with an NIL partnership? Um, 
my uh, Bojangles or cookout for my late night food would have been wonderful because <laughs> I would have had a lot more allowance in my pocket. <laughs> Lyle Adams, CEO of Spry. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, David. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this ADC Partners podcast. For more information about ADC Partners, please visit our website at adcpartners.com.